You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. It's end of financial year again, and we're just about to head into that part of the year where people start notifying their fund that they intend to claim a tax deduction for their personal super contributions made during 2022-23. However, these rules are complex, and with recent changes to event-based reporting and the work test, the risk of things going wrong are just as high as ever. I'm your host, Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here with me today is Linda Bruce, who's going to be going through what is quickly becoming our annual recap recap of the personal deductible contribution rules. G'day, Linda. Hey, Craig. How are you? Good. How about yourself? Not too bad. You excited by end of financial year? Oh, that's the exciting moment, right, Craig? Yeah, we got to be yeah. excited about it. <laughs> well, from a tech team perspective, we normally get bombarded with uh, lots of calls in the lead up to end of financial year. So I'm looking forward to end of financial year because then we get a little bit of a break before things hot up again in the new financial year. Now, um, each year, every year, without fail, um, we have situations that involve people making personal deductible contributions and then something goes wrong and the client potentially misses out on their ability to claim that tax deduction. So it has uh, increased tax consequences for them. And that's pretty much as a consequence of these rules being fairly complicated. So that's why about this time each year we do this recap. Now, let's start off. Now, Linda... Uh, first things first, how can a client make a personal deductible contribution? Is that as simply as the client simply tells the fund that their super contributions that they made uh, is a personal deductible contribution and the funds then report that as a personal deductible contribution? Oh, Craig, I wish it could be as simple as you described. That will be, uh, that will reduce uh, maybe 20% of our phone queries or email mm. queries. Mm. Uh, no, it doesn't really work like that. Uh, for fund reporting purposes, actually, there's no such category uh, as a personal deductible contribution. Uh, what really needs to be done is that uh, the client, as a first step, needs to make a after-tax personal contribution. Now, mm-hmm. the super fund received the contribution and the fund will report it as a personal contribution. Uh, at this stage, it's exactly the same as making a non-concessional contribution. Now, mm-hmm. the client will then need to take many further steps to convert this after-tax personal contribution to a pre-tax personal contribution, person, pre-tax personal deductible contribution. Um, mm-hmm. They need to lodge a valid notice of intent to claim a deduction for personal contributions with their super fund. Um, that a notice of intent needs to be lodged 
lodged in approved form advising the fund the amount the client intends to claim as a deduction. And then the client needs to wait to receive the acknowledgement notice from the super fund that the fund has received a valid notice of intent from this member. And then Mm -hmm. when the tax time comes, that's after the end of the financial year, the client uh, needs to claim a tax deduction for personal super contribution in their tax return. But that's not the end of the story. Um, The client can only do so uh, if the client has sufficient taxable income. And if that's the case, the ATO can allow the tax deduction to go through. And then that's the point the ATO will count this personal contribution towards the client's concessional contribution cap rather than the non-concessional contribution cap. This means that at this particular point, the client is successfully converted the up-tax personal contribution into a pre-tax personal deductible contribution. Okay, so the the process there, like we say it's complicated. You, you could look at that and say, oh, well, that's reasonably simple. I make the contribution mm. and then I tell the super fund that I want to claim a tax deduction and then I wait for that acknowledgement and then I just simply go out and claim it in my tax return. But there's a lot of things that go into potentially each of those steps. Now, you you outlined at least four steps there with multiple different issues that we need to think about for each of those steps. That's why things potentially go a bit wrong. Now, okay, let's start off by looking at what are we going to look at first. So notice of intent. So what are the traps here? What are the types of things that can and more often than not do seem to go wrong? Yes, Craig, a couple of things might go wrong. Uh, let's have a chat about the time frame. Uh, there is a specific time frame that requires the valid notice of intent to be lodged. Uh, it's before the tax return is lodged, or if the tax return is lodged in the following financial year, then the notice of intent must be lodged before the end of the following financial year. What we have seen in recent days uh, is that Advisors recommended the client uh, to make a personal contribution to the fund with an intention to claim either part of it or all of it as a deduction. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at that stage, it's not clear uh, what the client's taxable income might be. So Mm -hmm. they waited uh, for the accountant to confirm uh, the level of a taxable income um, before they go to the fund and lodge the notice of the intent. Yep, now, that's quite common. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's quite common. <laughs> yes. Yep. And then what we didn't expect is that uh, the tax agent uh, lodged the tax return without knowing or they forgot about this personal super ta- uh, deduction. And as soon as the tax return is lodged, it's simply too late for the client to go to the fund and lodge a notice, a valid notice of the intent. And there's absolutely no way to claim this personal contribution as a deduction. It's because the tax law uh, does not give the ATO nor the fund 
any discretion. Uh, and it's just so important for the advisors and the tax agents and tax accountants to work together so everyone um, is on the, same pa- on the same page. Okay, so what you're really telling me there is it's quite common for there to be a number of professional advisors and that somewhere due to some reason, such as miscommunication or something, that uh, they're working on the tax return and then someone misses out on the fact that there's a personal contribution made. So we're holding off from providing a notice while we're going to calculate this level of income. But then the tax agent goes and lodges the tax return before the notice of intention is provided simply because they didn't know a contribution was made and therefore they needed to hold off until the notice of intent was provided. Mm-hmm. So, um, and once we're in that situation, I you've lodged your tax return already, um, that that notice if it's going to be provided to the fund after the tax return has been lodged, then unfortunately it's invalid and there's nothing that the fund can do in that situation. Mm. Um, There's nothing anyone can do. Basically, you've now missed out on the opportunity to claim a tax deduction for that personal contribution. Nasty. Now, any other traps with notice of intentions? Uh, Yep. I think most of our advisors are quite familiar with this trap. Uh, that is, the fund must still hold the personal contribution for a valid mm-hmm. notice of intent to be lodged. Uh, that means if the client made a partial withdrawal or rollover, uh, that means uh, part of the contribution has left the fund uh, based on the ATO's interpretation, interpretation in the contribution ruling TR 2010-1, there's a formula to calculate uh, what's the remaining amount the fund still have, and that Less than amount, uh, the client may still be able to uh, lodge a valid notice of intent for. Uh, but this one's okay. At least a part of the contribution may still be claimed as a deduction. What is really nasty is the client has commenced the pension um, before lodging the notice of intent. Uh, even the client commenced the pension with a very, very small amount. The moment the pension commenced, um, it's no longer possible to go to the fund uh, to lodge the valid notice of intent and the client will lose a really important opportunity to claim that amount as a deduction. Okay, so a couple of things here. Firstly, on rollovers. So obviously when we're moving um, between funds because we've decided that fund A is no good and we want to go to fund B, that's generally going to be a full rollover. And so therefore, if that rollover is done before we provide the notice of intent, we're not getting any deduction at all, are we? No, we're not getting any deduction yeah. because the fund, the original fund is, uh, is no longer holding the contribution. It doesn't hold any of it. Um, one thing we do see a lot of is where advisors use rollovers to um, insurance-only super funds mm, yep. to pay the premium. So that's not a full rollover. Maybe the premium there is at, say, and the member's balance is, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars and then they make their, potentially even make a $1,500 contribution intending to claim a tax deduction for it because they've got in their head that it's all about, you know, funding life insurance through super. Then we go and roll it over before the notice of intent is provided. Mm. In that situation, because the fund still holds some of that contribution, they're going to get a partial deduction, but they're not going to get 100%, are they? Then no, they can't get the full deduction because a part of the contribution has left the fund. Yeah. And another question in relation to commencing income streams. So 
Many advisors will be familiar with that situation about where a client is, you know, just retired and we're looking to make contributions, claim deductions, quite familiar with the fact that they need to do all of that before they actually commence their retirement phase income stream, such as an account-based pension. What happens with something like a TTR or transition to retirement income stream? Is that the same? That's the same. It's still a pension. Yeah. It's just not a retirement phase pension, but it's still a income stream, still yeah. a pension. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what we find there is a lot of advisors very, very tuned into retirement, mm. making contributions, claiming tax deductions, but the whole TTR or transition to retirement income stream, they kind of forget that somehow and therefore that can also cost you there. Yep. So the message here is obviously lodge the valid notice of intention before any withdrawal, before any rollover or before the commencement of any pension. Now, this, however, will lead to another trap. Did you say that the individual needs to have uh, enough income? I did say that, Craig. Uh, the client needs to have enough taxable income to absorb this deduction. So we needed to look at the client's gross income that's called assessable income uh, minus any other tax deductions first. Uh, if the client then still has sufficient taxable income left, the ATO can allow the personal deductible, uh, count, uh, the personal super deduction to go through. Uh, if that's the case, all good. But if the leftover amount uh, is not sufficient enough to absorb the deduction, we have a problem. Because the amount of the personal super contribution that can be successfully claimed as a de tax deduction can only reduce the taxable income to zero, but it cannot create a tax loss. That means if there's any excess amount the client intends to claim as a deduction and putting in a tax return, but that amount exceeds the remaining taxable income, the excess will simply deny it by the ATO as a deduction. And you really, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm constantly looking at this and going, well, we really shouldn't be actually going anywhere near reducing our taxable income to zero, should we? We, we don't really want a salary sacrifice or make personal deductible contributions such that it reduces our income below that effective tax-free threshold, do we? Because then, you know, I'm paying 15% contributions on these on these contributions, 15% contributions tax on these contributions, where is, if I just took this money in the hand, then I'm potentially paying lower tax. That's absolutely correct, uh, correct Craig. Uh, I think you're referring to the tax-free uh, effect the tax -free tax -free threshold. threshold. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yep. $21,884 mm -hmm. for take, the yeah, current financial year. Uh, yeah, that's available for uh, the residence taxpayers. You're absolutely right. For residence taxpayers, we don't want to reduce the client's income to below yeah. that number. But for non-resident taxpayers, Usually, um, uh, we want to reduce yeah. their taxable income to zero uh, where yeah. possible. But for vast majority of our clients who are residents, uh, tax residents, uh, you absolutely be mindful of the tax-free, uh, effective tax-free yeah. threshold. And, and so that high threshold over 18200 takes into account the low-income tax offset. Now, let's just say, you know, um, that I've claimed too much. Can the client then go back and vary their notice of intention to reduce the amount of deduction they're claiming? 
uh, it is possible and where possible, the client really should go back and vary the amount down to the amount that ATO allows uh, to, to, be, to claim as a deduction. Why? Because the moment the client lodged the uh, notice of intent, uh, in the original not, uh, notice of intent, I should say, uh, the amount specified by the form will form part of the accessible income in the fund, and that's taxed at 15%. Now the ATO denied a part of the amount as a deduction. Uh, the mm-hmm. client could... Uh, if the client hasn't done uh, a, any withdrawal, rollover, or commencement of the pension, all the rules that we mentioned earlier, um, then the client should go back to the fund and lodge the very uh, verification to the original notice of intent and reduce the amount uh, that it can that it was allowed by the ATO as a deduction. However, if the client has already commenced the pension. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of disastrous because the client will lose the opportunity to go back to the fund and lodge the variation to the original notice of intent they lodged. That means the 15% tax was paid on that amount, excess amount, and there's no way to get that refund uh, on the contribution tax that mm-hmm. has already been paid. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, what if what if I actually claimed a deduction for part of my contribution, but now I've earned more income than I thought I was going to? Can I vary my deduction notice up? You can't vary your notice of intent uh, amount up, but what you can do is to lodge a separate notice of intent uh, to cover that amount. Okay, so I can vary down, but I can't vary up. But if I want to increase my the amount that I'm claiming as a deduction, I just lodge another notice of intent with the trustee. Is what That's correct. Yes. Okay, terrific. All right. Now, on to the work test changes. Now, we don't need to worry about the work test these days when we're making a contribution. To, to that extent, the, the work test no longer apply for a trustee to accept a contribution. Mm. Um, so we used to have that work test that kicked in from 67 up to 75, including 28 days after the end of the month you turned 75. To make a contribution during that period, you needed to have done your work test, right? But that went on the 1st of July 2022, but it didn't go completely, did it? It, no. uh, it just got moved out of the... Or was it CIS regs and now forms a new age-based deductibility rule for the Tax Act? Now, this is going to be the first. So that took effect from the 1st of July 2022. So this is going to be the first financial year in which case we're worried about not so much the person doing the work test to be able to make the contribution, but person doing the work test in order to claim the tax deduction. Mm. Now, how's this all going to work? Uh, yeah, it's the very first time we're very close to lodging the tax return. And it's the first time in history we're going to test how it's going to work. Uh, so we thought uh, if the client made a contribution on or after 67th birthday, because we only needed to worry about this rule uh, for claiming deduction purposes uh, if the contribution is actually made on or after 67th birthday, uh, where the mm-hmm. contribution was made uh 
and age 67, we can completely ignore the work test. Uh, but let's just say a client made a personal contribution all after uh, 67th birthday. They lodged a notice of intent to receive an acknowledgement notice from the fund. Now it's time to do the tax return. We thought, uh, or the industry thought, uh, the ATO uh, might require the taxpayer to tick a box in the tax return uh, and by declaring that they have met the work test uh, in the current financial year. However, based on what ATO released, uh, the um, uh, tax return, individual tax return for 2022-23 financial year, it looks like there's nothing there in the actual tax return requires the individual taxpayer to tick that box. What the ATO has done, um, like many, many other things, is that in the instruction section for this particular item, the ATO stated where uh, you made a contribution, you're over age 67, uh, you will have to make sure you meet the work test conditions. Uh, otherwise, you're not able to claim this amount as a tax deduction. So in other words, we are going back to the self-assessment approach. Yeah, okay. So a couple of things here. Obviously, back in the days when the work test applied to make a contribution, um, the member would need to declare to the trustee that they've satisfied the work test in order to make the contribution. But these days, the work test no longer applies for a trustee to accept a contribution. So we're not going to ask that question. If, if a client that is 69 years old comes along and gives us a personal contribution, we are not going to ask them whether they've satisfied the work test, regardless of whether we think they may intend to claim a tax deduction or not. Completely irrelevant to us. Also, I think in the, the approved form or the standard form for claiming a tax deduction for this notice of intention, um, we thought the government or the ATO might vary that in some way to call out that you're going to have to satisfy the work test if you're over 67 and under 75 and 28 days after the end of the month, that sort of stuff. But they didn't vary that that form either, did they? No, they didn't. No. Yeah. So, so in this case, there's nothing really here to warn the client that they needed to have satisfied this work test in order to claim the deduction. And in fact, even if you go and read the instructions to the tax return, they're a bit misleading as well, aren't they? They kind of employ that imply that if uh, if you're making the contribution in the year that you turn 67, then you must have satisfied the work test in that year rather than, you know, clearly calling out that the work test only applies for contributions made on or after age 67. So if I, if I make a little bit more sense of that, to say you're 66 and six months, um and you make a contribution, well, the work test doesn't apply to that, even if it's in the 22-23 financial year when you made the contribution, because simply you made the contribution before turning 67. So, you know, this is all the kinds of issues that we need to to watch out for with this. Now, um, coming back to the self-assessment question, Linda, mm. um, how's, the, how's the ATO going to know? If you're not telling them that you've done the work test by ticking a, ta- a box in the tax return or that you've satisfied the work test exemption, how are they going to know that 
you've satisfied the work test. Yeah, these days uh, the ATO uh, can see a lot of things in their database. They will do a lot of a data matching. Um, I know so, more about you than you would know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So first thing first, uh, we think uh, ATO will identify the client's age. If they identified someone claim a deduction uh, for this particular personal contribu- super contributions and they're over age 67, what they might be doing, because they have all the data there, uh, they will uh, they can identify all that cross-checking whether there's any personal exertion income that got declared declared in the tax return. So the ATO might be looking at items such as salary wages, anything inserted there, uh, or if no, then um, is the individual running a business? Is there any income declared under the uh, sole trade business-related sections? If no, the ATO might be looking at personal services income or whether there's any partnership distribution. And if there's partnership distribution, then the ATO might be looking at the partnership returns and whether or not the partnership is running a business. So all these things uh, will help the ATO to have a preliminary um, determination uh, whether or not the client has worked or able to meet the work test. Uh, If no personal exertion income is declared, uh, that might trigger uh, the ATO to review. But as long as the client can prove to the ATO, I was gainfully employed in a year, and that was more than 40 hours within a 30-day period. For example, client might be taking uh, unpaid annual leave. Mm. Uh, that might be fine. So it's not the end of the world um, if the, it triggers ATO's review. As long as the client can prove they can meet the work test, and then the deduction can still be claimed. However, uh, if there's no evidence, nothing there to support that the client can meet the work test, then the deduction can be denied uh, by the ATO and there uh, could be further penalties from the, uh, implied by the ATO as well. Okay. So if I, if I summarize all of that, the, the ATO will data match. Yes. So if you're between 67 and 75 and you're claiming a personal deductible contribution, they're going to look at other areas of your tax return to look for employment income or sole trader, business type income, something that would indicate to them that, oh, yes, look, Craig's got some employment income there. So therefore, he obviously satisfied the work test. But if they don't see that, they're going to at least ask the question. Now, it might well be, as you said, that you're on unpaid leave and you're in an employment arrangement and and we think in that situation you satisfy the work test, all good, but you're going to get a question, right? Uh, Another potential problem we're seeing here for people is that where people potentially run a a business through something like a trust, um, but they're not actually an employee of the trust. They just simply might be the trustee of the trust. They're involved in the profit-making activities of that trust, but they just draw down the income they generate through that business in the form of trust distributions. Now, in that situation, they're not a common law employee and they're not a superannuation defin- definition of employee. 
So any work they've done as part of running that business actually doesn't count towards the work test. So that might actually catch a few people out uh, in this first round of applying these work tests uh, in this year. So another thing that we need to watch out for. Okay, now, okay, moving on. Now, we get a few questions where an advisor and the client did everything right, but the personal contribution intended to be claims the deduction was actually counted towards the non-concessional cap rather than the concessional cap. Now, if the client also maximised their non-concessional cap, this can also trigger excess non-concessional contribution. So how does this happen? Like, what's happened there? Uh, could it be a couple of things, um, Craig. Uh, it was a mystery to us. At the, the first time we got a few calls like this and we're scratching our head and thinking, what happened there? And with some investigation, um, it can be characterized into two scenarios. Uh, the first scenario is that the client hasn't lodged the tax return yet. Uh, so if the client hasn't lodged the tax return, uh, that amount uh, intended to be claimed as a deduction uh, hasn't been successfully claimed mm-hmm. as a deduction. So if the ATO uh, did the data matching, they know the client made a personal contribution, let's just say $350,000, $330,000 is the um, bring forward non-concessional, $20,000 will be claimed as a deduction, but it hasn't been claimed as tax yet. deduction yet. Mm. yet. Mm. So the ATO uh, already issued the excess non-concessional contribution determination letter. Uh, right. It actually happens quite a common, quite often. Uh, in this scenario, um, just let the ATO know, AISAP, uh, please do not send any release authority to any of the fund. Um, the reason for it is because uh, that 20000 in my example, uh, will be claimed as tax deduction. Uh, when the individual tax return is lodged and the deduction is successfully claimed, uh, the ATO should be able to uh, fix up everything at their okay. end. So this, and, uh, yep. Yeah, any other ways that that can happen? Um, yes. What happened is um, we found out the client's tax agents or tax accountant uh, lodged the tax return without claiming this deduction. Uh, although okay. there's a valid notice of intent, uh, lodged with the funds, the client received acknowledgement letter, but there's a, something was broken. So the accountant lodged the tax return without including this amount as a deduction. Um, so in this scenario, uh, because a client has done the valid notice of intent, uh, it is possible to uh, request to amend the tax return uh, by including this amount as tax deduction. However, be very, very mindful the individual uh, has only two years from the date of a notice of assessment mm. is issued to amend the tax return. Um, so uh, if this is already outside the two-year time frame, uh, the client or the tax agent uh, will need to lodge an objection. Uh, it can be a lengthy process to get it fixed. Again, that's one of those yuck situations where the fund's going to end up paying the 15% tax, but the deduction's not claimed, so no reduction in taxable income. And also the client ends up having to deal with an excess non-concessional contribution. So now let's talk about something we've also started to see a little bit, and this involves the ATO contacting some members 
saying you claimed a personal super contribution deduction, but we don't have a record that you lodged a valid notice of intention with your fund. Now, what's this about? Yeah, uh, we since 1st July 2018, uh, there have been few changes to the funds reporting requirement. So the mm-hmm. big funds not only needed to report a personal contribution received by the fund, but also needs to report to the ATO the acknowledgement of the valid notice of intent within 10 business days. Now, mm-hmm. reporting the valid notice of intent uh, is only an obligation for the big fund and some mm-hmm. many super funds are not required mm-hmm. uh, to report the acknowledgement of the valid notice of intent. So, uh, when the client lodges the tax return, uh, the ATO will see, oh, you claim the personal super contribution as a deduction. And then they will do the data matching. Uh, they might see some big fund reported the um, valid notice of intent, but some mm-hmm. clients may not have it. It might be because the client never did it, or because uh, the fund had a reporting error, or because um, the client simply is a member of the self-managed super fund. It never ever had to the requirement to report it. Um, but in any case, it might have a trigger the ATO to ask questions. And that might be the reason the ATO has been contacting these members. Okay. So this relates to the ATO saying, well, hang on, we haven't had a, a valid notice of intention reported to us. Yeah. Um, so does that mean the deduction is going to be Denied for their personal contribution? Uh, Not quite as simple as that. It depends on a few things. Uh, It's just the ATO's warning. You got to have all the record. If we knock on your door, show us the record. If the client has all the record, that's fine. It's the situation. The client should never, ever um, claim this as a deduction because they never uh, lodged a valid notice of intent or did not receive the acknowledgement from the fund for uh, the valid notice of intent. Uh, That's the situation um, we needed to worry about because that deduction can be denied. Okay. All right. Now, what if the the deduction is not allowed or it's denied or not claimed? I think you said before that it counts towards the non-concessional contribution cap. Yeah, that, that's right. As we mentioned earlier, uh, just like the non-concessional contributions, this is just a personal contribution uh, where a deduction is successfully successfully claimed as a deduction allowed by the ATO, uh, that it will be allocated towards the concessional contribution cap by the ATO, mm-hmm. not by the fund, by the ATO, and any amount that is not claimed, um, maybe because the client cannot or uh, they did not uh, claim it as a deduction, and that amount uh, will count towards the non-concessional contribution cap. And if the client has already maximized the non-concessional contributions cap, that will trigger the excess NCC determination. Uh, And there will be a range of tax consequences that we highlighted earlier. And the key point here is uh, all the professionals, such as advisors and the tax accountant, really needed to work together to make the strategy um, uh, work well. Okay. So let me give you a scenario. So let's say we've got a client age 70 
And let's say that they've got um, $330,000 worth of non-concessional contribution. And let's say that they're making a $27,500 personal deductible contribution. Let's say, you know, all of that contribution actually went in. They provided their notice of intention. And they provided the notice of intention maybe before they'd satisfied their work test. And that's fine. We, we don't need to do the work test before we give the notice of intention. But the client says, yeah, they're going to go and do their work before 30 June. No problems at all. But you invite them along to the end of financial year Christmas party kind of thing that you're holding. And you say to them, you did go and do that work, didn't you? And, uh, and they say, oh, actually, no, I went on holidays instead. So in that situation, that deduction's now going to be denied, isn't it? Now, so the deduction gets denied. Now, if we assume that they, not only did they make all those contributions, they went and commenced a pension shortly thereafter, mm. right? So then we go, oh, no, you've, you've now paid 15% contributions tax, so we need to go and vary that notice down. But unfortunately, you can't because you've already commenced a pension, and so we get the worst of both situations in that. So we've we've got that $27,500. That's, we can't claim a tax deduction for it because it's going to be denied because we didn't do the work test. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm paying 15%. So I'm paying individual tax rates on that, assuming I'm, you know, paying tax. Um, but not only that, the super funds, including that amount in its assessable income, is it? Yep. Yes, because it claimed a tax deduction for it. Yep. So it's 15% contributions tax is paid. But also that $27,500 is going to count towards their non-concessional cap now because the deduction's been denied. So we're not only dealing with all those nasty, horrible tax outcomes, we're also now dealing with an excess non-concessional contributions tax problem. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So that's a real trap from these work test changes because previously there was kind of a circuit breaker in there, wasn't there, that the trustee wouldn't accept the contribution until you'd done the work. But now trustee's just going to accept the contribution and you don't have to have done the work before you provide the notice of intention. So this, if you go and do all of that and then you claim your tax deduction, then you, you provide the notice of intention and then you go and start a pension and then they don't do the work, that's the outcome you get. So it's a real trap um, for those clients between 67 and 75. Now, I think we've probably prattled on way too long here, Linda. Would you agree? Oh, never too long for personal deductible contribution, yeah. Craig. <laughs> now, if anyone has any further inquiries, First Tech do have quite a comprehensive guide in relation to making and claiming or making personal deductible contributions and all the requirements around providing notice of intents and all the timeframes and pretty much everything we've just talked about. So if you want to follow up there, certainly get in touch with the team and we can send you that, that guide or go onto a website and get it there. Other than that, Linda, thanks. Thanks, Craig. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, 
no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventist Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.